Welcome to Between the Worlds. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia. Stay tuned and learn how to re-enchant your world with tarot, magic, and more. Thanks for traveling with us. We're glad you're here. When I think of the Ten of Swords, the first thing I think is that you are ready to call it. The battle is over, there's no going back, and it is time to move on. We discuss what this might mean for you with our special guest, tarot expert, Mary Kay Greer. So stay tuned. Quick reminders, our Sigil Magic Workshop on designing magical symbols for fun and pleasure is still available for download for a few more weeks. The link for that is in the show notes. And next week on the 25th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is our Tarot Practice Studio. So you can really get in there and just learn and practice your tarot skills. That's for our Jupiter-level coven members only. So check your inboxes to Beast coven members already received the workshop for sigil magic this month so thank you for joining us we had so much fun with all of you also i am having my own ritual this month on march 28th that's a sunday at 11 a.m pacific standard time and this is a full moon in libra ceremony plus an astara ritual to celebrate the beginning of spring This ceremony is by donation. Anyone can attend. I hope you join me. The link to register is in the show notes. And I cannot wait to see you there. Hi, Carolyn here, producer of Between the Worlds. I wanted to let you all know about a new podcast I'm producing for creative folks called Mind Your Practice, hosted by the devilishly brilliant author of Make Your Art No Matter What, Beth Pickens. Mind Your Practice is geared towards artists and writers looking for strategies and support to build their projects and practices, plus loving pep talks. You can visit mindyourpractice.com for more details or listen wherever you stream Between the Worlds. So, no major introduction to the card from me today since actually we cover most of it in the episode. And since today's episode is a little bit on the longer side, I just want to jump right in and just stick around with you. Our guest probably won't need much of an introduction. I'm sure most of you know her already, Mary Kay Greer. I mean, if you've been studying the tarot for any length of time, you probably have one of Mary's books. I know that Tarot for Yourself was the first book on tarot that I actually bought for myself. And I recommend every beginning tarot student get this book because it's so comprehensive. And by the time you finish it, you'll basically know how to read tarot. It's that good. Mary has an MA in English literature, and she taught tarot in colleges for 15 years She's the author of 12 books on tarot and on magic and is an initiate of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. She's a priestess hierophant in the Fellowship of Isis and is part of the underground stream known as the Ageless Wisdom Perennial Philosophy 
or secret tradition. She's got a workshop coming up as well this Saturday called Tarot and the Secret Tradition with the Morbid Anatomy School. We'll put the link in the show notes so that you can sign up for that. I've joined it. I hope I see you there. And you can find her at marykaygreer.com and on Facebook, and that'll be in the show notes as well. So let's meet her. So here we are, Mary Kay Greer. I am so absolutely thrilled to be here with you. You are one of my teachers, and I can't believe how lucky I am to be here with you today. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Amanda. It's really wonderful to be here, especially with such a rich topic, and I always love doing this. Yeah, I'm so excited. Well, so um, before we dive in, I, I know that a lot of our listeners out there will be really curious about you since they probably have all kind of been studying with you already uh, with your books and things. Um, how, how did you get, this is only, it doesn't have, we don't have to go into writing a whole book about it or anything, mm-hmm. but like, how did you get started, started with the tarot and like, what has been the evolution of your process? Because you've been doing it for so long now. Over 50 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. A friend got an Eden Gray book for Christmas. And I went to see her Christmas morning, you know, check out all our gifts and just was insanely jealous of this book. It grabbed me. So I went on my first spiritual quest to get um, a book about tarot and find a deck. And I got uh, university books, Rider Waite Smith deck. Uh, within a couple of years, well, I guess it was almost seven years before I started teaching, but that was my next big jump or level. I w- was teaching as a non-credit course at a college. Then I moved out to California and got to teach it for many years as a four-credit course, interdisciplinary, so I could bring in everything from mathematics to history to art to uh, psychology, yeah, and literature. <laughs> That's so amazing. That's so amazing. So- so what's your background, though? So if you were teaching at university, do you, do you have a background in literature? Or? I've got a master's degree in English literature. And actually, I decided to get a master's because I decided that I had to teach tarot at a college level. <laughs> yes. Yes, ma'am, you did. And you do. <laughs> you go deep with this stuff, which is so great. Yeah. Um, well, so before we dive into the to the meat of the show, which is about the Ten of Swords today, one thing I'm curious about in terms of like the evolution of your process, I know that a lot of people initially get involved with di- divination because they want to know the future, like they want to know what's going to happen to them. Do you feel? How do you relate that to the tarot? Like, do you feel like it can do that? Is that its purpose? Like, I know that's a big question, but I'm curious what you think. Well, we live in a wonderful period of time. So since the mid 20th century, we've expanded what we can do with tarot in so many different directions. So I don't think we're fixed. It's it's just like, um, you know, if you uh, have cancer, you don't go to a foot doctor, unless you've got foot cancer, but, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you go to specialists. And I think tarot people can be specialists. So um, there's all different kinds of approaches. And I think all of them, when they're done by two masters of that approach, are absolutely incredible. So I'm not that good at uh, prediction or psychic reading, but um, 
occasionally I have those experiences. I know how powerful they can be, but that's not what I'm ideally suited for with all of my own proclivities. So the biggest thing is finding out what works for you and then continuing to expand and push the boundaries. Because over 50 years, I've really pushed myself to at least explore and get as good as I can be at some of the techniques that don't come naturally to me. Mm-hmm. That's such great advice. What What do you feel like right now your interest or your like really where your expertise is? Like if you're not doing psychic predictions as much, where where's the heart of tarot for you? Uh, it's in an interactive process with the client or the querent. And I believe that everybody has all the answers within themselves. So I, li- I like to say that I act as a midwife of the soul. The midwife is midwife with the person and supporting their own process. So I use my knowledge of the cards, one, to ask questions of the person to help them, you know, kind of have these spontaneous experiences of what's true for them through the imagery of the cards. And then also I help them see the pattern. So as we go through the cards, a pattern emerges from my knowledge of correspondences and symbolism and the stories, the myths, and so on behind it. So it's an, a Jungian approach with some gestalt. Uh, and then I really love all the correspondence systems of the mm. um, you know, magical orders, the Golden Dawn. Wow, that's so yummy and juicy. I really want to get everything from you now. So, I mean, I always would have, but that just sounds so amazing. Well, so, okay, well, let's dive in to the suit of swords. I could literally ask you about your practice all day long, but we don't have all day. So, um, okay, so let's talk about the suit of swords, just basics. Like, what what do you feel the story of the suit of swords is, or what what are the most important themes of the suit in general? Um, there's not a single fixed one because uh, some people see swords as fire and therefore associate all kinds of fire imagery and astrology with it. And other people see it as air. And so they associate that. And other people don't even use an elemental system. And looking at a sword, what is a sword for? Um, is it related to a pen? You know, more than something else. So uh, we do think about words, beliefs thoughts, ideas, as generally being part of swords, communication. But there's sword is also two-edged. And so there's this whole idea of pros and cons, of analyzing something. Also, with a sword or a pointed object, we get to the point. So there's that sort of thrust and drive to get to an answer. But we evaluate the two sides of it. So um, I see it as everything from the traditional meanings that come from playing cards of swords being great difficulties and sorrows and problems to the processes we use to work through those problems, Uh, the planning, the organizing, the thinking about the um, analysis, truth, you know, something true or false. Uh, That's another big theme, again, with the two-edged sword and the idea of all of that mental process trying to get to the truth of something. There's also other uh, ways of looking at the storyline of it. Uh, For instance, I 
feel very strongly that Arthur Edward Wade in creating the deck with Pamela Coleman Smith had a particular story in mind for each of the four suits. And for swords, it was the Masonic story of Hiram Abiff, who was the architect of the uh, Temple of Solomon after it had been destroyed and was being rebuilt. But he was killed off by jealous Masons, people working for him who wanted to know the plan and tried to get him to reveal the entire plan. So once he was killed, the plan was lost. And part of the idea is at that point, the Temple of Solomon could never be rebuilt because it was only in the mind of Hiram Abiff who knew how to do it. And so in Masonry, the idea is that the temple can now only be built in the heart instead of externally. But the key for um, swords is that uh, Hiram Abiff had a plan, and then that he was murdered <laughs> uh, the, by three people. So we've got the three of swords stabbing him. There's, actually, you can take the story uh, as it's told in the Masonic rituals and lay it out in order through the cards and when we come to the final card, there's actually an image that appears in some of the Masonic books of 10 men with swords standing over somebody, who, the initiate who's supposed to be dead. <laughs> so you have to die to one world in order to be born into another. Mm, I mean, that's the sort of shamanic tradition, right? Or any kind of rites of initiation is yes. about the death and rebirth into your new self. Wow, I had no idea. I didn't know about that story. So much comes up about that. I mean, I think of the swords often too as like state power, because when I think of the medieval legacy of the sword, and the sword is something that has to be created through all of these different, um, really challenging energetic uh, strategies. For instance, you have to pull the minerals out of the earth. You have to pound them. You have to melt them down. You it it involves a great deal of elaborate social structure in order to make a sword, and then you have to practice with it. It's not just something you can pick up and you know use. You have to really you have to really know what you're doing, and um, and then often thinking too about how swords are used. You know, traditionally in medieval period when swords were most often used, they were used as a tool of violence or a tool, a tool of enforcing uh, state authority. But they're also used ceremonially, like to confer an initiation of sorts. So if the, the queen knights, uh, you know, someone, then she puts the sword on either side of his or her shoulder and um, welcomes them in. I, and for me, I, I always think of it in relationship to air. Um, the intellect, the mind, reason, awakening. I mean, let's talk about how we get to the Ten of Swords. So, I mean, we start with the one with the ace, which is a beautiful card. It's bright, it's sparkly, it's shiny, it's uh, full of life and clarity. And then, wow, it really devolves from there. <laughs> it really goes into a dark place. I mean, what's the most interesting thing about this card for you? About the Ten of Swords, yeah. I think for me is that so many people focus on the Ten of Swords as being a violent end. Um, mm. And it certainly can be that. But one of the things I like to have people do when we're in a place where we can do this is act out the card. 
So I'll have a client, if I'm seeing them in my home, lie on the floor exactly like the figure in the Rider-Waite-Smith deck, which is the one I most often use. And so they turn their head to one side. They've got their hand placed in a, uh, a particular position, which looks like the hand of the Hierophant. Um, and I have them imagine that they're actually in that scene. Every person who has done that, when I ask them what they're experiencing, they've said relief. Mm. And so there's something about the card where you've gotten down so low that the the only way is up. Mm. It's when you finally let go of all your striving, all your attempts to fix something, all the rationality, everything you finally just give in, let go. And when you truly do that, some a space opens up. Yes. And that's a space to grow again. So I see the nine of swords actually as more difficult than the 10, because the 10 allows you to finally release all of that striving that you've been doing. Yes, I see that so much. Whenever this card comes up in a reading for me, like when I'm doing it with clients, often their face falls. Right? It's, yeah. Just looking at the card, it's not the one that you think, oh, yay, I'm so excited to see that here. But I do always think of it too as a relief, like this idea that you've been fighting, you've been struggling, you've been trying to make it work, you've been, you know, doing the CPR, you've been pumping things into it, you've been doing everything you can. And finally, you're just able to call it and say, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I, I'm not going to be able to do this in the way that I wanted to do it. And because of that, you can exactly as you said, you can let go, you can surrender, you can see what is there. I mean, I was thinking of a time when I got fired from this waitressing job. It's a long story. It wasn't really my fault. (laughs) The owner is now being sued for sexual harassment, quite rightly. But anyway, I got fired and it was devastating. I cried and cried and cried. I was so worried about money. I ended up living on credit cards for four months and going into a lot of debt. But it also really gave me the opportunity to revision my life because I was struggling to do this other thing. And then, you know, the, the tablecloth got pulled out from under my (laughs) cutlery and, and I had to just rebuild and really think, what do I really want? Where, where do I want to go from here? And I wasn't clinging to trying to keep this job that um, was really causing me a lot of stress anyway. Yeah. I was just going to say, when you surrender like that and you finally have to, you have to give up, you can't go any further. It leaves space for something new to move in. And I think this is the moment before anything new moves in, but where there's that lift because you're no longer striving, you're no longer struggling, you're you're not trying to make anything happen. And we have to get to that point in order to have a clean slate for something new. So that's what I heard. Yeah, like maybe we can't even see what could emerge if we're really fighting to get a very specific outcome. Yeah. Um, I'm I was really interested in why you feel like the nine the nine of swords is a more challenging card. I see the nines as completion and the tens as the result of the completion. And so the nine is where um it's different than the, the completion of the ten because the ten's more about letting go. 
in the nine, it's like you're in the midst of the, the pain, the sorrow, the difficulty. So that's, um, you know, the end of the story when everything just seems to be destroyed mm. and you're there in the destruction moment. So it's much more painful. Um, it's m- much more difficult. Uh, there isn't any relief in it. No relief in sight in the nine. Mm. That's a good way to put it. Well, so when these cards come up in a reading for people, let's say they come in and, and there's not any real major devastation going on in their life or they're, they're, they're thinking, I'm not sure how this relates. Like, what would you think or what would you say to them in the, that circumstance? I have them simply describe the card. In other words, no interpretation, no meaning, no metaphors, no symbolism, just, you know, there's a person lying on the ground. He's wearing, um, you know, a, a brown shirt and has a red cloth over him. And there are 10 swords with the points in his back, you know, and then describe the background, you know, black sky, but with the yellow sun and it, you know, the, the blackness is lifting. So when they start talking about it, you can hear those points of truth in somebody's voice when they suddenly go, oh, yeah, oh, aha, oh, I hadn't even seen that before. All of those points are the ones, you know, I hadn't seen that before. To me, I'd say, mm. what haven't you seen before? Mm. And so that that brings out what the true significance is for the person. I mean, I've got dozens of meanings for the Ten of Swords, but I don't go into any reading with a fixed idea of what that's going to be for an individual. I want them to discover what that is. Then I can bring in, in my own mind, the other meanings when I look at the rest of the cards in the spread, because certain things will be emphasized. Uh, sometimes there's something that they're avoiding. They don't, they never mention, you know, one of the things that is in the picture. Um, I see them avoiding that and I'll, you know, suggest something around it a little bit, but sometimes it's a place that a person's not ready to go. And that's, I'll leave that. That's okay. Other times I'll mention that they'll say, no, 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 that has nothing to do with it. And a little later in the reading, they suddenly go, oh, I get what that is. <laughs> so um you know it's it's either something that they see or something that they deny <laughs> or um uh, but i i just kind of try to create situations for them to kind of stumble and fall into truth <laughs> so often when people resist in a reading like usually i find that if something's completely irrelevant they feel neutrally about it but if they strongly resist or react, then usually there is something there that they just, like you said, aren't aren't really ready to see. And I guess that's the trouble of going to a tarot reader if they're if they're really quite good and and they are really in practice of engaging with you that um, they probably will see things that you you don't necessarily want to see yet. But but I do think um, from what I'm hearing from you, you're very skilled at letting the person come to that conclusion on their own. Because, of course, if they're not ready to see it, then nothing you say is really going to make that happen. Right. And I don't want to hit somebody over the head over and over again with something that they're resisting. I don't think it's healthy. Um, 
And, you know, maybe later, a couple of times I've said something and the person said, no, 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 that's not it. And I've gone, okay, you know, let's let it go. And a few months later, they call me and they go, you know, that thing you couldn't figure out, it was this. It was the exact thing that, you know, I mentioned once or twice. <laughs> uh, and they deny. I go, wow, fabulous. You figured it out. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I have that experience often as well. Yeah. Well, so... I love what you were saying before about um, how the temple needs to be built in the heart, that the, that the story of the pseudo swords is about this architect who kept all of his designs to himself and then, you know, then was murdered. I, I hadn't heard of that story before. For me, when I think of the tens in the story of the tarot, I often think of moving from the individual in the one to the collective in the 10. Mm -hmm. And so this, this card prompts me to think about the social causes of defeat or ruin, as it's called in the Thoth deck. For instance, right now people are experiencing a lot of defeat and ruin because of larger social problems like lack of healthcare infrastructure, very little government support, racism, colonialism. And because we live in an individualist society, we tend to think that when we experience ruin, it's our own fault. We've done something wrong. We did. We weren't able to succeed. We were a failure in some way. But I feel like this card asks us to consider what if our problems are systemic rather than personal. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how you feel like this card relates to the collective. Well, it's interesting because I'm um, kind of checking out some of my old uh, sources on the Ten of Swords. And Crowley said, I'd totally forgotten, that this card represents mass insanity <laughs> or right. reason gone amok. <laughs> yes. And um, that does bring in that collective sense, you know, the, um, the, the crowd consciousness, the mob, actually. Um, and so, yeah, what happens when all of that descends on something all at once? That's the other side of it is how do we feel after mob action? Mm. Yeah, you know, um, all of this happened. And in that case, there may be a new dawn, but it's not necessarily one of relief. It can be one of um, being aghast mm. um, at what we witnessed. I should say that we're we're recording this right after the mob invaded the Capitol building on the 6th of January. So you're speaking to this mob action and that that is an aspect of the Ten of Swords. I mean, that's so interesting to me to think about. One of the things that I see you advocate in your work a lot, especially through the guiding questions that you have, for instance, in many of your books, is to help us relate the cards to things that happen in our life and experience and things that we see in the outer world. And so when you're talking about seeing this mob, you know, invading the Capitol building and, you know, blazing their uh confederate flags and smearing blood on the statuary and um you know the cops essentially letting them in in a lot of ways um thinking about how that feels to see that and then associating that with this card i mean Mm -hmm. that's big 
Yeah. And the fact that Crowley saw it, you know, back in the 40s, you know, uh, mass insanity. I think it's also important to realize that the card can be looked at from a lot of different ways. Like one of the things I saw over these last couple of days is that swords being the mind and rational reason so on is, um, you know, truth trying to kill off all the the true false news, <laughs> the, the conspiracies. And uh, an example is, you know, 80 court cases that said there <laughs> is no fraud. Um, that we, they can't find any evidence to support this on any level that would make a difference in, at all in any one of the states. So that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is um, that it's the opposite, that it's all the conspiracy theories that are killing off truth. Yes. That double-edgedness, as you were saying before. And that's why when I'm working with an individual, it's like, what do they see in the moment? Because that's going to reflect their real issue in that moment. We see the cards differently. If they see it as total ruin and annihilation and confusion and and mob mentality, or if they see it as uh, truth being brought to the foreground and and cutting away all that is not true, all that is not love. Exactly, exactly. And we see these things in different times and different places. Like I had never thought of the card before in relation to the idea of truth versus, um, you know, conspiracy. <laughs> I had thought of, you know, yes, true and false, nice abstract things that come up occasionally in somebody's life. You know, is he cheating on me? Is he not? Uh, You know, how do I finally let go of the relationship? (laughs) You know, after he stabbed me in the back. (laughs) And then to take it onto the world stage, because that's also Trump lying there with the real truth. Right. And, you know, people even in the Republican Party, even in his own cabinet, finally saying this has to stop now. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's so interesting because you can look at it as, yeah, it does kind of look like Trump lying there. And also, like you were saying, it can be democracy lying there, for instance. Exactly. Or, you know, the truth lying there. And it sounds like you're saying we have to look at where we see this in our own life, whether or not it's in a subconscious process, whether it's in the creative process or in a relationship or um, maybe something more spiritual that we're coming to the end of or coming to the conclusion of. And it seems like you're also suggesting that we get to decide. We get to decide how we want to do it. Is that, am I understanding you correctly? I think that's one of the things that can happen in a reading. In the first place, um, I want to mention, of course, the other cards in a spread are going to emphasize some of these things more than others. So uh, that will bring it into more clarity. But also, one of the things about knowing about correspondences and mythology is that we can change the vibratory level of 
any of the energies around a card. That's what can happen in a reading, is that you come in with the most mundane question about, should I do this? What's happening with this guy? What, you know, should I go on a date with him? <laughs> the most mundane and start to see the pattern in that in your own life. Why do you keep asking these questions over and over? Uh, is there a different way to look at the situation? What if you're asking about yourself? You know, do you truly love yourself? Because how can anybody else love you if you don't love yourself? So all of these things, um, when you see them in the cards, especially in entire spread, you can change the dialogue to um, a deeper level of meaning. And when you work at that level, make changes at that level, the effect bleeds down into the most mundane level in magical ways. So that suddenly he's calling you when you thought it was all over. And, you know, it, it's things out of the blue. I've, I've done so many workshops where we've done this in the workshop or ongoing classes. And the next week, the, the person we focused on comes back with a story of how the whole situation changed in ways they could never have imagined and worked out because we, I feel, because we got to the deeper levels of what was actually happening and saw options that can't be seen when we're just focusing on mundane events, when we see the greater pattern. I love what you're saying about the changing the vibration of the card through the reading. And so you're saying that when we do the reading, because we bring new awareness to our situation, we might expand our point of view or shift our point of view. And that that then has a ripple effect into the way that our life happens. Yes. Am I understanding that? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And that's where the magic is, is through that. Well, that shift in consciousness mm -hmm. that allows things to behave differently around us or that our life behaves differently. Yes. And the most amazing things happen. A woman that, um, she was a, a vet and there were dogs near her in the next home that were driving her mad to the point that she had actually fantasized poisoning them. And wow. that horrified her so much. She didn't know what to do with it. So after working with this and owning where's the dog and her and, you know, that kind of um, thing, seeing the big pattern of it. This was an ongoing class, and every week we would ask her, what about the dogs? And she'd go, the dogs? Oh, I haven't heard the dogs. Through the rest of the class, there, were, there was no indication of the dogs again in her life. Whether She couldn't even figure out if they were still around or not. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So was she not hearing them, or were, did something happen where they were no longer in her environment? <laughs> Well, so you had mentioned this idea of correspondences, and this card I in the, the Thoth correspondences corresponds to the sun in Gemini. I mean, in what way do you feel like that correspondence speaks to this card? Um, the Gemini is the mind, and I think it's the overthinking things. And sometimes we need to stop thinking. That's why meditation is so important. That's why when people lie down on the ground and the dead man's pose and yoga is basically what they're doing, um, that you stop thinking. Mm. 
And that allows space for something else to happen. Yeah, that's a great analogy. I was just doing some yoga this morning. And of course, a lot of yoga instructors say um, Shavasana is the most important pose in your you know, yoga practice. Because in Shavasana, which is dead man's pose, as you're saying, um, that's when all the work that you've been doing throughout the yoga practice can really absorb and that you have to be able to fully release in order for whatever new thing, as you were saying before, can manifest. You need to be, you need to let everything go. You need to fully surrender and to the earth in a sense. And that's when um, the, the work that you've been doing can, can find its way in. A perfect way of doing it. The work that you've been doing can find its way in. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so what is this, if this card comes up in a reading, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot already and I feel like we could go for a long time with this. What's it calling for people to do? Like, I feel like some of the things that it's bringing up are how do we deal with an ordeal? How do we deal with a betrayal, for instance? Mm. Sometimes it's not about dealing with it. So I think that's one of the the main things is sometimes it's acceptance. Sometimes it's um, going into that, you know, meditative, non-thinking place. I don't know. I think we're sort of talking in circles now about this because it it kind of comes down to that, um, that simple thing. It's not to say that this card can't have very mundane meanings. You know, somebody's just betrayed you. You've got a back problem. Uh, you're going for acupuncture. <laughs> um, there are those, um, your business just failed. But it does always have that vibrational energy of what does that mean if you totally, completely, absolutely surrender to it? Mm. I know somebody who had back pains for years. I mean, the people I've mentioned have all given me permission to talk about these situations. And uh, there had been childhood abuse. And um, the doctors kept telling her that they didn't think it was physical. And literally years, she was in her 40s. And this, you know, the event had happened when she was young. And uh, she had tried to be very, you know, Buddhist and compassionate about the whole thing. And because of the cards that came up, we talked about, what happens if you don't forgive for a moment, if you just, you know, express all of your pain, your hatred, your uh, you know, blame on this person and just let it all out. And then it's like she finally emptied herself of all the stuff that she hadn't let herself feel. Mm. And the pain went away. Because she'd been holding on to that anger and resentment and hadn't been allowing herself to feel that because she felt like she should forgive. Yes, exactly. Well, so one of the things that we love to do, we've already brought this up a little bit, like with the story of Trump and, you know, the invasion of the White House and, you know, many other little personal stories. But we like to think of pop cultural references, um, movies, songs, things like that that illustrate the card. Um, I don't know if you can think of any. I've got a few that I've got uh, in my back pocket. So first of all, I think of the moment. Did you ever read Cormac McCarthy's The Road or see the movie? No. 
Well, I, di- I didn't read the book because Cormac McCarthy is very violent and too intense for me. But I did watch the movie. And the movie is about, you know, this apocalypse has happened. And um, most people, it seems, have died. There's great environmental de- devastation. And it's about this family who's wandering the road. And they're trying to find... Um, life. They're trying to find community and everything has been destroyed. And there are these roving bands of like essentially violent proud boy types, um, you know, on the road. It's a, it's a very violent and difficult place. And there's a moment near the end where it really, throughout the movie, it really just is a grinding sense that all is lost. Like they're just trying to hang on and the planet itself is in total chaos and mayhem and then in the end they find this child spoiler alert they find this uh like orphan essentially and they rescue this orphan and and then there's this moment where they think all the animals have died like all the insects have died all the birds have died and uh they're just eating from cans and things that they can find or scavenge and then there's this moment at the end where there's like this moth or this butterfly that just kind of flies yeah. through and the sense of like life is still there. It's, it, it's, it's reemerging and it gives me the sense of let's do this better next time. Like life is coming back. How do we want to do this? Because the way that we did it before led to this level of destruction and now we have a chance to rebuild. So that's one of the things that I think about. And then the second one is the song The End by The Doors. I know that Carolyn, my producer, probably will have ambivalent feelings about this because I know she has ambivalent feelings about Jim Morrison for good reason. Mm-hmm. But the song The End by The Doors goes, this is the end. My only friend, the end. And then he says, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safety or surprise, the end, and I'll never look into your eyes again. But there is a real pleasure in his finality of this ending time. You know, he's really going for it. Yeah, I've been thinking, because your references were bringing up other ones. Um, I just wrote a blog post about the emperor, fool, and death, which is the constellation of the emperor and birth cards. And there's a music video by I'm a fan of BTS. So one of the members did a personal um, song called Detita, which is the sound that's made when there's a procession of the king. It's uh, drums and uh, wind instruments. Anyway, um, there's a lot of reference to haters um, that, you know, all the big idols and musicians always have haters who are always trying to bring them down. But the whole thing uh, uh, revolves around a king who goes mad and starts murdering indiscriminately, and then a young revolutionary uh, slave or a fool who he decides, the king decides he's going to kill. But it turns out the executioner is in on it, and um, at 
So I hate to tell you all the end because it's such tell a me, shock. Tell me, tell <laughs> me. I can't, I can't go without that. So at, at the end, when the executioner is supposed to cut off his head, the head of the um, the peasant revolutionary, uh, instead he cuts his bounds and hands him an, uh, an army Colt pistol, an antique uh, pistol, and the revolutionary shoots the king. Wow. Uh, so there you've got, you know, this end that you think is going to be the end. And there's all these swords because the king is doing this dance, this so- incredible sword dance. Um, and you know it's all building up. It's just uh, the end of this poor peasant. And it all turns around. And, of course, the the king who's gone mad is what happens when people get into power. And they rise to the top and they lose their original impulse for why they wanted to do everything that they were doing. And and the peasant is the the sense of where you come from. You know, Jungi, the, the musician, you know, he wanted to make music. He, you know, abandoned everything at his home and took off to Seoul, the capital of South Korea, which is where they're from, um, in order to follow his dream. And so to keep the dream alive, how do you have to keep killing off all of those things that you thought were important that started becoming your life and becoming, you know, all the, um, well, look at Trump, you know, the control, the craziness, the madness that goes along with getting to the top. Mm. And so periodically we have to kill that off. So with the cards, I think we need to remember that they're never finality. They're not the end. The death card, although it can you know, I think once or twice in 50-some years, it's meant somebody's die- died. <laughs> but usually it was some, a situation that was known about. It was very literal with something that was known. I haven't seen it actually as a prediction, although I wouldn't put it past that happening. But, you know, in 50 years and hundreds of thousands of readings, you know, it, it means something else because it's a process, death and rebirth. And so even with the Ten of Swords, it's a stage in an ongoing story. And we're about to, we're going through a stage in an ongoing story. We're going to find out. I love this, this idea that in this BTS song, um, is a, he's a thief. He's, so he thinks he, he's a jester or something. He's going to be he's going to be executed. What did you say he was? Um, he was like uh, in in the music video because it's only three minutes, but it's cinematic in a sense. Uh, he's a peasant, and it turns out he's a peasant revolutionary. And when he's singing, he's singing about uh, putting down the haters that were hating BTS and because they were put down for being underground rappers and instead going into pop and wearing makeup and all these other things. So they've even gotten death threats because of those things. Um, so, you know, he, in a sense, he's killing off all of that, but he also has to kill off his own stuff. He said, I aspired to the 12th floor and suddenly found myself on the 60th floor. You know, what do you do when you're suddenly, you know, at the top? They're the biggest band in the world right now. Wow, that's so amazing. I mean, what I think is so inspiring about what you're saying is that he, he was a peasant and he thought he was going to be killed. But then it turns out to be the regime of the king that ends in this story. Exactly. 
And then, but also there's another layer, which I feel like the tarot is so good at as well as, you know, as in literature or, or uh, song that he also has to kill off this layer of himself that thought he could only get to the 10th floor or the 13th floor. And now he's at the 60th floor, right? Like there's this whole new, like he's, he's also killing off his limitations. So there's many layers of things dying. And often we think of things being dying or being killed off. That's a bad thing. Um, but it also allows for something to emerge. I was thinking also in terms of just scientifically, like the dinosaurs, they died, you know, and that is a great tragedy, I think, because I love dinosaurs, but also great things emerged from that. So, you know, there are these, these cycles. And the pandemic, I mean, look at the pandemic, all the peoples that are being killed. So we've got the 10 swords, you know, it's multiplied many times beyond what uh, people thought uh, might happen. And, you know, for all the months and, uh, you know, going into the second year uh, that we're under this, and yet there's going to be new inventions. Uh, Technology has taken huge leaps and bounds in terms of the way we communicate globally. Um, You know, this is not going to stop. These are going to be new ways. I mean, it's really true what you're saying. And I remember, uh, I think it was Arundhati Roy who talked about how historically after pandemics, there have been great social revolutions for the better, towards, towards greater justice and greater freedom because the masses of people see what the, you know, state power hath wrought in often the bad ways. Um, For instance, hopefully there'll be like a revolution in in healthcare and caring for one another when we see what happens when we don't recognize how interdependent and how interconnected we are, which maybe is also something about the swords in the idea that the swords are about severing, they're about cutting apart, there's about separating. And there's Mm -hmm. a degree to which we can go too far into that individualism and that that we've seen what what horror comes of not caring for one another or just being everyone for themselves and that we have an opportunity now to to revision mm-hmm. well so we have this little tr- thing we like to do as a little gift to our listeners um where we say, oh, you know, in case you're going through a Ten of Swords type moment in your life right now, we like to draw a card to tell them, you know, to offer some guidance about how they might get through that. How, what, what tarot wisdom, what wisdom the tarot has for them around that subject. So um, if it's all right with you, I'd love to pull a card and see what you think about that. Okay, sure. Okay, so I'm pulling the card. All right. This is a tricky one, I think. <laughs> uh, two of Pentacles. So in the Two of Pentacles, we see a man in kind of a juggler's outfit, red and orange and green shoes. And he's standing on one foot and he is juggling two pentacles in his hands. And behind him, there's a, a stormy sea, a kind of volatile sea. There's ships being tossed and a, a bright blue sky. So what what are your thoughts on how the two of pentacles might guide us to dealing with this total ruin of the, of the tennis? <laughs> Before we do that, just uh, one step further in your description, um, looking at the card, uh, what would you say are his um, feelings, emotions, and attitude as he's doing this? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, he looking at it right now, he seems to be 
a little uncertain, but also kind of enjoying himself. I, I feel like he's got this expression on his face saying like, let's see if I can do this, which is often the expression I have on my face when I try and juggle. I'm not a great juggler and I never really did master it, but he's kind of like, it, he seems to be practicing. That's what it looks like to me. And the emotions that I feel are kind of a bemusement. That's that's what comes up for me. What do you see? Well, uh, first of all, yeah, he's bemused in the middle of it, or you are as you look at it? I feel like he looks a little bemused, but also a little worried. Like it might be a little bit beyond his comfort zone, what he's doing. And he has this expression, I feel like he feels... Like, let's see if I can do this. I'm not sure that I can, but I'm going to try. And I'm kind of having fun, but I'm also worried that I might not be able to handle this. Doesn't that sound like what most of us are going through in the pandemic? Yes, it does. <laughs> and it does. And yeah. also, I see um, where where this tool really is so helpful because it makes me think, oh, if I if I was letting something go, if I realized you know, the fight is over as we do in the Ten of Swords and it's time to move on. That moving on does require kind of doing things that are a little beyond us that we don't know how to do yet that feel a little overwhelming, but that if we approach it with the spirit of play or the spirit of experiments, uh, practicing, that's what I see him doing here. When I'm looking at this card, rather than like bringing in all my knowledge of like what the two pentacles means or whatever. But when I look at him right now, I think about this thing that I'm learning about in this uh, practice called somatics. And in somatics, they bring up this idea a lot of practice. And they say, what are you practicing? And the idea is that whether or not you are making a decision you are practicing something. So you you might be practicing, you know, not making decisions. You might be practicing spending a lot of time on Instagram. You know, you might be practicing living in accordance with your commitments or your goals or your values. But I see what he's doing there is he's practicing juggling the material world. Like he's practicing how he interacts with the material world. And he's not sure that he's doing it right, you know, like maybe when we first start to learn how to do karate or yoga or tarot even, or, you know, our new job or whatever it is, we we might feel a little bit like fishes out of water, but eventually if we practice, we will, we will get good at it. Yeah. What, what comes up for you? Well, as you're talking, I can't help thinking of this whole period as uh, Biden and Harris come in and the juggling they're going to have to be doing. And, you know, that's that spiritual level. Can they keep the very thing that you were talking about of this is a practice and it's alive, it's constantly changing, it's constantly morphing. You can't get too serious about any one moment. At the same time, you have to be absolutely serious about every one moment. Mm. Um, you know, do we do the 25th Amendment? Do we do um, impeachment? Yes. <laughs> um, I guess we'll know we... <laughs> by the time this episode comes out what the answer is. Yeah. Or uh, do we do something else? All of these things are kind of the juggling that's going on. And can we keep that bemusement? 
one of the things they say about the devil card in the Golden Dawn is that its secret attribute is mirth. So can you face the shadow, the the most terrible things, with a little bit of amusement? And I think the idea of this is practice for something, it's not an absolute, is one of the things we have to keep in mind. One thing that um, a lot of the commentators that I like listening to have mentioned over and over again is that if we're truly in a democracy, we can't have different laws for different people. And therefore, when Nixon got pardoned, when, you know, if Trump is allowed to just go on it, you know, they're given, they're not with the rest of us. They're given special privilege. And there's a point at which that has to be stopped. And so we keep practicing trying to get closer and closer to what we really are as a democracy. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's such an important point, this idea that there can't be different laws for different people. And which is absolutely true. And we see the failure of law. And I don't know if it's a failure of the idea of law, since laws are always made by essentially the people in power, um, unless they're created like through some sort of collective anarchist group, but then there wouldn't be really laws. It would be more like a set of agreements. But it also speaks to the juggling act, right, that we're seeing in the two of pentacles because, for instance, we can't really, well, we we ought to think very carefully before we get into this habit of um, throwing our ex-leaders in jail. Because if we do that, you know, many countries that are not at all democratic, you know, the, a new person comes to power and they say, oh, all the old leaders, all the old regime, we're going to throw them in jail, you know, or we're going to put them in the guillotine or we're going to hang them because they're all bad. And I think that that is incredibly dangerous because the, I, like right now we can see Trump is a, absolutely a criminal, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, let's say you know, we we put him in jail, then does that set a precedent so that if another person like Trump comes to power, they can put the previous group of people in jail? Or, you know, as they as they were saying, you know, they brought like nooses and mm-hmm. um to get pence. To the, <laughs> yeah, it get yeah. pence, right? So so this idea that like, oh, we're going to kill the, you know, you know, the king is dead, long live the king kind of thing, I think is really troubling. But um, but I think that you bring up such amazing points and it does really speak to me to this. Uh, the two of pentacles, which is like, these are both realities and they're, they're both true. They're both challenging and we have to juggle them and find this, the middle line. And if we can do it in a spirit of optimism, presence, staying focused on what is right there, which was what we have to do when we juggle, right? We can't have our mind all over the place about, oh, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? We have to be really present with what is right there in front of us and really grounded in the body. I imagine you know, when you're juggling. And keep doing it. And we have to keep moving. Yeah. Because you can't stop when you're juggling. Once you stop, you're not juggling anymore. So that's how government is, is it keeps, it has to keep going. And you have to keep that perspective somehow that, you know, there's not absolute right or wrong in most cases. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to say that absolutely. But uh, there's certainly some absolute ones. (laughs) But there is this, um, you know, most situations are, 
ones where you're juggling your con. I mean, that's why it's so difficult for us to understand when Congress is making laws is that they're constantly juggling the different pieces of the law in order to get some right things in while accepting some stuff that other people are insisting that they need to have. And that somehow we have to keep moving. It kind of contrasts with the uh, Ten of Swords because the Ten of Swords looks like an absolute end, even if there's going to be a renewal on some level. You know. Oh yeah, that's such a great observation. It de- it looks like total stillness, like stagnancy. It's like it's an end. Like it, there's no motion there. He's dead as a doornail. We might say all the balls fell. <laughs> all the all balls the- fell. <laughs> yeah. All the balls fell. But but I love what Tarot is suggesting for us here that even that our way forward is. Just through, you know, picking the balls up, trying again and moving through that uncertainty and just kind of putting them in play, putting the balls in play again and seeing how it goes from there. Well, I don't want to take up your whole day <laughs> now that we've, we've, we've taken you for a long ride here today. But my last question is, what is your juiciest tarot readers tip? And I know that you have literally a million. <laughs> but what is what is something that you just want to share with the world right now or something that you're finding really helpful right now? Actually, let me mention two things. One is the, what we've already done, which is describe a card. When in doubt, describe the card. Just go to that level. It breaks through so many things. Uh, it's It's magic in its own right. And don't try to interpret in the description. Just stick with it until something really grabs and takes hold, and it will. Um, The other thing is that there's not any right or wrong way to be a reader, a tarot reader. It's finding what works for you, what you're best at, what your proclivities most support, and developing that. And then... You know, if you do like me, you know, 50 years in the field, um, continue to expand on that because you don't want to just become limited to to that. That's going to be your central core that you keep coming back to that you can always fall back on. Find what you do best and do that. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. Those are such incredible tips. Do you offer classes? Are you offering readings? Where should we go to to dive into all of your wisdom? You have so many books. Like which which ones should people start with? Tell us about <laughs> where we can where we can receive more of this Mary Kay Greer wisdom because <laughs> I'm ready to sit at your feet for about 10, 10 hours, 10 weeks and just listen to you. There's a lot of books. Um I've I've written about 12, 12 books now. Um I would say Tarot for Yourself. Um, If you want a reference book, Tarot Reversals also has upright meanings because you can't understand what the reversal without, you know, grasping the upright. So that's my best meanings. And uh, 21 Ways to Read a Tarot Card, I'm particularly fond of. That's the book that will help you most determine what your skills are, what what you love most, uh, and the style of reading that really works best for you, I think. Awesome. So, 
Yeah, that and... I I have those two first ones and I don't have that third one. So I'm going to definitely run out and get that one. And then what about like, are you teaching classes and do you do, give you, do you give readings? I'm doing uh, some of the co- online conferences. I'm not doing a regular ongoing class here in the States. I just finished one in China. Wow. Which was, uh, you know, Zoom uh, class, right. but that went on for what, 16 weeks <laughs> wow. uh, in depth. Yeah, it was wonderful. They're lucky. So uh, best to get one of the uh, conferences. Also, I've got a lot of um, workshops, you know, two-hour workshops at globalspiritualstudies.com. So you can view ones that I've already done, uh, as well as uh, I'm not sure what the next upcoming one is. We haven't scheduled it yet, so I don't want to say. Is that your website? or No, it's Linda Marson in Australia. There's actually a ton of really, really good tarot courses and other courses on there, and she also sponsors some um, spiritual travels. So it's a wonderful website to check out, globalspiritualstudies.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Great. Um, readings, um, I, I don't put it out there, you know, online professionally, but if there's anybody that's really interested, uh, contact me at um, uh, best probably through Facebook Messenger right now because uh, I've been having some trouble with my mail and the my blog address. Well, look out, Mary, because I think that you're going to be kept busy for the next two years with all the people that are going to want to get readings from you from this amazing conversation. Thank you so much. It's been such a great pleasure. And I just am so honored that you were able to come on the show. And I I can't wait to, for more further connection. Thank you so much. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation. I like the fact that we were able to you know, bounce everything back and forth. It was wonderful. Listeners, we have reached the end of sword season. I hope you had a good time. That was a big, that was a big one. Swords is not an easy suit and you made it to the end. You should be very, very proud of yourself. I hope you learned a thing or two. Hope you feel more excited every time you get the swords now. We will be back in a few months, a month or two. Uh, We're not sure yet when, but we will be back soon with our next season, which will be Pentacles, which should be really fun. We are so excited about it. We've got lots of guests that are percolating and we're excited to bring on. I mean, this is like the earth magic season coming up, which is really kind of my favorite. So I really can't wait to dig in with you. And we will miss you. We will miss you a lot over the next month or two. But if you are like, oh, I cannot bear to be away from you between the worlds, which is how we feel about you guys, then please do join our coven because we will have some workshops that will be just for our subscribers. We'll also be doing our tarot studio once a month. And we also have a lively conversation going on on our Facebook group. So we are there for you. And you can find the link to that in the show notes. Also, again, just to remind you, I will be having a ritual March 28th at 11 a.m. Full moon in Libra ceremony and Ostara ritual. Ostara is one of the 
the wheel of the year holidays to to launch into spring. And I can't wait to share that with you. And if you want to join me, it's by donation. Links in the show notes. And we will see you between the worlds. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Subscribers to our Weird Circle at the Jupiter level get workshops, community, bonus content, and magical support throughout the year. We really do hope that you join us. In the meantime, if you love our content and want to keep us on the air, please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on iTunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media. Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Ricks. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us.